Hey, and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. I'm looking forward to introducing you to my friend, Jamie York, in just a moment. Um, Jamie is, he's in the property world. He is a business mentor. He has several businesses, so he's not just doing stuff in property. But I came to know Jamie early on in 2020, just before the world went into lockdown with the coronavirus. And we very quickly became, um, I'd like to think we're good friends. He might say different. It will be an interesting recording because normally our conversations are full of banter and calling each other's horrible names that we wouldn't normally use in public. Um, But within that, we have some really interesting conversations around business growth and mindset and, um, you know, how to run your business strategically. We've had loads of really geeky conversations around marketing and Facebook ads specifically as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see where this conversation goes. I've got a few things I want to cover off that I think will be really useful for people to hear and stuff that I just enjoy talking about with Jamie anyway. Um, but yeah, let's dive into it. Um, let's let's introduce you to Jamie York. Jamie, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am amazing. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm full of energy and enthusiasm. 45 second introduction. What's the elevator pitch kind of thing? <laughs> An all round pitch. Okay. So um, I've been in business now for about a decade. A majority of my companies are within property, property investment and scaling. Um, I've got a few different other businesses. So I've got a classic car business, a few fitness businesses, um, money lending businesses. And then uh, obviously I mentor and train people as well, um, including property investment and training and mentoring around that, but also around marketing, business and scaling and things like that. Cool. So there are, there's a few things that I wanted to try and cover off with you and just have a general chat around. And it's the, the sort of stuff we normally kind of talk about anyway. Um, okay. But one of those things is to do with business education. So obviously you're sort of quite involved with that world. You've in lockdown, you've launched your own sort of training offering um, and education offering but there's a lot of people out there that have quite a negative attitude towards kind of like the whole business education thing. And I well, I thought I'd open up that conversation, see what your thoughts are on that, where the viewpoint comes from, the issues you see with it, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so interestingly, the business education side, I actually don't see that much negativity, but that's probably because I'm, more normalized, I guess, uh, guess to the property education side, which is absolutely fucking brutal, um, to be honest. Like the education industry on the property side seems to be a little bit of a witch hunt right now, um, the last couple of years. And um, it's, it's it stems from a lot of different things and then it's come to a trigger point. So first of all, the concept of self-education is really weird in itself right no you don't self-educate you go to school you go to college you go to university you get the degree you're in your debt then you work till 65 and be fucking happy with it right um and then the idea of coming out of university to then invest further in yourself is such an alien concept um to people add to that that it's investing in yourself for wealth which every investment is, right? If you invest in a, if you want to be an artist and you invest in an art class, that is wealth associated in the fact that you want to become a better artist to produce better art, to sell it, hopefully, and make a load of money. Um, but there's a very, especially in English culture, Americans seem to be a lot better or a lot more positive around this. But the idea of making a core focus around your life and aligning success to financial success becomes kind of a sickening thought for a lot of people. You know, the love of money is, you know, the root of all evil of that sort of thing, Um, which is, of course, absolute bollocks. Money doesn't change you. It reveals more of who you already are. If you're an arsehole with no money, you'll be even more of an arsehole with money. If you're a charitable person, then you'll be even more charitable when you make money. Um, But it does seem to get a a hard stick because of that. So I think that's the stage one part of it. Like there's this natural hatred towards self-development. 
So, you know, when, even if you say self-development to the average person, you know, when you can almost feel somebody rolling their eyes at you, you don't even need to see it and go, oh, here we fucking go. They're one of those Looney Tunes, are they? Um, in touch with their mindset and all of that. And that's, that's just a, a way that people are mixed in with the fact that there are bad eggs in every industry. Um, and I don't just want to put this down to the property education because there are some bloody bad eggs in there. Um, and the business and wealth industry, there's some bad eggs in there. But it's more apparent because, ironically, of marketing. So because of the way online marketing works, um, often what you're doing is you're targeting lookalike audiences and pixeling and retargeting and, and memory tools and um, all of the distribution of data over the last five to 10 years where up until GDPR, people were using each other's data fairly heavily. And so you have this strong confirmation bias, right? So if I go on Facebook right now, every man and their dog is an educator. Like literally everyone is an educator, but that's not true. It's because that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've been researching. And so naturally I'm seeing more of that. If I start looking at, I don't know, what's a random thing. We talk about dogs today. If I, were, if I were to look into dogs and kennels and things like that, see how the ads change over the next few weeks. Um, same as if my mom goes on Facebook, she'll be seeing very different adverts. Okay, the only reason people see them is because they've shown an interest. So you get that confirmation bias coming in. And then what happens, I think, is it builds up and builds up and builds up over time. And then I think the final straw that I see is a lot of people see education as an easy game, an easy way to make money. You know, if I charge you five grand, all I need to do is charge 20 people five grand. I've made 100 grand, right? Piece of piss. And it is as simple as that, theoretically. What people forget is what you then need to do to actually be worth that five grand, 10 grand, 15, 20 grand, whatever it is. That's where the hard part that comes in. So because it's easy money, and I'm, for those that are listening and not watching, I'm doing the old bunny ears, if you like. And um, yeah, the air quotes. But because it's so easy to do, there's a lot of people that get in quick. Now, the problem with trying to get rich quick is it's the fastest way to get poor, right? And so the people that jump in on that bandwagon, bandwagon often leave those hurting in some way and then move on to their next thing that they're going to churn around. And so naturally, people associate and connect to that bad name. But, you know, that, that's the same with every industry. Um, I know you are a marketing agency, right? And if I said, why is it so rife as a marketing agency? Because there's some really shit marketing agencies out there that will charge you a couple of grand a month and do fuck all for it, right? The thing is, there's two sides to this coin. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, there are people that I will talk to and they've, you know, they've been to an agency, maybe they've been to a competitor that I'm friendly with, and I know they're a good agency. And actually, the issue has been with the brief. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to that the self-education. Some people go in and they're like, here's my five grand, tell me how to run my business. And they don't actually realize they need to put the work in as well. And then it's like, actually, oh, well, you know, Jamie did a shit job. He didn't serve me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, so I always think take responsibility for what you can. So how I would take responsibility for that is if you saw who I take on now, for mentoring compared to even a few years back. A few years back, it might be a, wow, people want to invest their money with me because they trust me to build their business. Great. Whereas now it's like, actually, do I want to take them? And I'll make it very clear in the application process what I expect, what I'm looking for. And then even now, um, one of the first videos that new mentees watch is like a half hour video of me basically saying, look, just because you've paid this money, doesn't mean you own me, doesn't mean you demand all this time. It's actually, you've just paid for a seat at the table. Now you need to prove why you're taking up someone else's seat. And it's, it's that real thing that actually, now the onus is on you because you wanted to walk into this house. Now show that you're actually worth taking that seat in the first place. So it's more about getting the right people. And so, you know, it, the onus is on me as a mentor to make sure that you're the right me mentee in the first place. But ultimately, it's your role as well to say what you expect from me as a mentor. Because if you tell me, and I'm like, you can jog on, that's not happening. 
right? Not for that amount of money. Then that then you can make a decision around that. But it's when people, you know, they come in, pay five grand, ten grand, twenty grand, fifty grand, hundred grand, whatever it is, and suddenly think, ah, oh, that's it. Somebody else is going to run my business, and it's like that's not what mentor is. You are just wanting to be a bum. It's like, and if you want to do that, great. No qualms with that. You're not made out to be an entrepreneur. Being blunt about it, go get a job somewhere or be somebody's number two. You know, be somebody's number two in business. But if you want to be number one, you need to own your shit and take control of that. You can't expect the world to do your favors because you know life's not fair ultimately. I think as well, you, you've got to be really, as the person investing, you've got to be really clear in terms of, what you want out of it, how you want it to run, and like what the dy- what the dynamic needs to be for you in order to make it work. So a lot of the conversations we have, it's not like conversations we have tend to be around a topic and just like me getting stuff off my chest, getting stuff out of my system, and you going like, whoa, 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 here's the mistake you're about to walk into rather than, I've got this challenge. What do I do next? Whereas other people need that kind of steering down a, you know, steering down the roadmap kind of thing. So I think that's really important. You know what you want out of it. And then you go and find that, you know, first of all, you know, is it a mentor you need? Is it a coach you need? And then find the right person that's going to be able to do those things for you. So mm. you've had, I know you've had mentors, coaches before. So what's been your like decision-making process in terms of going down that route? Or was it just a flip decision to you met someone, that was it, you were going to do it? I have, I have done that many times, um, especially for the first sort of five years. And, and actually, it's um, what you need from a mentor or a coach changes shape over time. So sometimes it was just accountability. It's just turning up knowing somebody's going to give me shit because I said I would do these five things and I've only done two and I'm never fucking turning up short again because of how they hit me with it. That's the thing as a mentor I notice is like I can communicate pretty bluntly with you, um, but there are certain individuals, they could make the same mistake as you. And I'd be like, it's okay. Look, we, make, we all make mistakes. This is, this is how we're going to get out of this. Whereas you, I'd sort of be like, you're fucked up, you know, you're screwed up. Why did you do it? You're better than that. And it's, it's understanding that and being able to alter yourself, if you like, and mold to the person that you're mentoring and vice versa. But then as I sort of developed out, um, I realized having those mentors were great. Then I had to be more focused and have key mentorships and what I realized is, yes, I want to be able to get on with them. Yes, I want to be able to um, connect with them because I think that is important, you know. Um, if I – I don't need to really, really like the person mentoring me, but if I don't align with their values – so I talk about value first quite a lot. I talk about loyalty a lot. Um, I talk about integrity a lot. And they are really important to me. And so if people don't have that in themselves, and by the way, it's not a bad thing. Like people, like they're just buzzwords to some people. They don't really mean much. That's great. But if they are the opposite of that, let's say, then I can't work with them. It's just like, it's, it's never going to work well, you, you ever. And every time I've done something and worked, taken on a mentee or had a mentor that is the complete opposite of that, it has never worked out well. It never has. Um, and then outside of that and their personality is have they been where I've been? Okay. And I don't mean niche specific. If you, if you run a restaurant, I'm not going to go ask for mentoring from a chef, right? I don't give a shit about them being in my niche. I I'm in my niche because I know my shit and what I do here. It's about building businesses. So I can help businesses go from zero to hundreds of thousands. I can help a business go from hundreds of thousands to a million. And I can help people from go from a million to five. I can't help a business go from maybe, let's say, 10 to 100 million. I can't do that because I've not done it myself. So somebody came to me and said, I'll give 100 grand, Jamie, if you can mentor me to get me from 25 to 50 million. It's like, well, I can probably do that and give you some advice from an outside perspective, but to actually mentor you, why the fuck are you going to come to me? Why don't you go to a guy or a girl that's done that 10 times over? 
So that's always for me. So I, w- I like life hacking. So if I can look at somebody that's taken a five million pound business to a 50 million pound business in 10 years time, what I think is most of what stopped them doing that quicker are the mistakes, the things that they did wrong, often not what they did right. And so I, I see my investments now and that my mentors are heavier investments than before. And so now those investments are how many years can I buy back? Because one of the biggest lessons I learned many years back is time is more valuable than money. Money comes and goes. Money's a piece of piss to make, right? You can always make another hundred grand, another million once you once you're at that size. But you know, each second that goes, never coming back ever again. It's gone. You're one step closer to the end, all that sort of thing. Um, and so that's what I'm really investing in now. It's my time um, and their time. And if they did it in ten years and I want to hit that goal, then even if it takes me nine and a half years. That's still an incredible investment for me. And like maybe before it would be 10 years, I need it in five because they're smaller things, right? If if somebody took five years to get their first hundred grand year, I probably want that in a year or maybe two, you know, but when it's sort of these numbers now, I'm trying to shave weeks, shave months, and buy some time back because, you know, I'm 20, I was about to say 28, I'm 29 now, I think. Yeah, you are. You're 29. I am 29. Yeah, I'm 29 in November. See, I'm getting fucking old already. I'm losing my memory. Yeah, I know how losing old my... you are. I don't know how old my kids are. Get that wrong. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> no comment. Um, but, you know, so I'm still a kid in a lot of people's eyes. But as far as I'm concerned, I've got big lofty goals. And, you know, I don't want to get to 65, 70, 75 and go, fuck's sake, I wish I got this a few years quicker. So for me, I invest very heavily in my education. And I think that's important for a mentor as well, by the way. Something I'm quite clear on is, I don't think I would have a mentor that doesn't invest in mentors themselves. Um, because the other thing I'm tapping into is, is an endless resource. And I always ask if they have that mindset. Um, so theoretically, Let's say, uh, well, not theoretically, I'm your mentor. Yeah. I have my mentors. So when you're asking me the questions, I will know hopefully a lot of the answers, almost all of them, I hope. But if I don't, I'll go, let me come back to you on that. And then you've got that trickle-down economy, I call it, the trickle-down economy of my mentors. Now, theoretically, if I'm asking that and they've got the same mindset, let's say that continues. So let's say my mentor is worth hundreds of millions. Their mentor is worth a billion their mentor might be worth 10 billion. And theoretically, there should never be a growth aspect that can't get covered without going and asking that question. And so theoretically, if that sort of goes, you know, there's there's no reason somebody can't be connected to multi-multi-billionaires um, trickling down to somebody in their first 10 grand month. So when it comes to moving from one mentor to the next because I, I I do believe you get to a point where you've learned as much as you can from a person and you need to make that switch mm-hmm. so from a you know in terms of like formal mentorship at some point our relationship will get to the to that level yeah I'll be done with you <laughs> I'll have used and abused you <laughs> I am used to being used and abused and I've learn to like it so don't worry um ready for it so at what point is it that you kind of go right yeah that's you know i'm i'm done now i need to make that switch do you get to a point where you you do you bring a, a second mentor on before you let go of one so that there's a transition phase what's the what would be your advice okay so that's a really good question so it actually depends on why they're my mentor um, so there's, I've actually got a mentor who was one of my first ever mentors. Um, and they're about 15 K a year. No, it's about 20 K a year now. Um, 20 K a year. And the reason that person is still my mentor is I've got an incredible relationship with them and I do not like letting them down and they think differently. They're the three things. And so I'm not really looking to learn something as such so it's not like my business has actually taken over theirs now in growth but 
it's they are not my mentor because I'm looking to get to the next level of my business. It's the fact I can ask questions and get a very, very different answer to the way my brain works. And it's just like, and sometimes they're the same answer and it's just a sounding board. And sometimes you're just looking for your opinion in somebody else's voice, right? And that is a worthwhile investment for me at my level of business now. So it's not always about that. So if my reasons for having that person as a mentor is to get me to 15 million a year, 20 million a year, because they've done it before, that person would no longer be my mentor, right? There are other mentors where actually they have very niche information Mm. about it. So I've got that information now. They've not developed themselves, okay? Then there's a mentor that I've had for a number of years now. And the reason they are still my mentor is because they've they've kept ahead of me in the game. And this is the thing for me. So a mentor could just be a year, could be a decade. Um, It's very unlikely for life. You know, I think there is a point where it's like, actually, you're you're just on the same level now. Um, And at that point, it sort of becomes more purely friendship and stuff like that. Um, But for me, if I'm still getting value from them, then I hold them as mentors, even if I bring on other mentors in there. The most I've ever had is four mentors at a time. Um, And that worked pretty well because they were for different areas. Um, when I've had three mentors for the same area, it just didn't work for me because they all have great points, but very different opinions in the way of getting there. I was going to say, does that not create a lot of conflict? Because, you know, if, if I'm if I'm talking to you about something in a like mentor-mentee conversation, then it's because I want clarity or, you know, so actually if you're getting that from different places, you, you're going to get conflicting information. Yeah, it, it, it depends, really, because clarity can come from added information. You know, sometimes clarity is because you haven't asked the right questions, which means you've got the gaps in knowledge that you, didn't, you don't even realize you've got because you don't know the questions was, right? So sometimes having different opinions can fill that in. But yeah, so if, if I'm going for life advice, I'm not going to go for 13 different people for that, right? I'm going to go to someone that I think I really respect their opinion. I'm going to ask you, I might ask you, it's the same as when you're, you're feeling something in life, right? You might go to two or three of your friends to get a few different views, but you still want it to be your decision because ultimately this is your business. And I can give you advice that I know is right for the growth of your business and it will make you money. But if it doesn't sit well with your values and the way you're going to do it, you might hear that opinion and alter it slightly on there. Um, I do I do think, though, like the only time, and, and, and I know it's a bit soft, is when I'm no longer getting value. So if I'm investing in a mentor and it's all about my growth and they, they haven't grown themselves, that's great. Good for them. They, find, they found that level for them, right? That's good on them. But I don't need them as a mentor now. They're superfluous to my needs, if you like, which is a bit brutal. And then I'd say to them, look, it's been been amazing. I want to say thank you for the growth. Um, I won't be continuing with you. That's not a problem. Um, Is this where you're about to tell me something? I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, people can't see. I'm like trying not to giggle now because I want to like throw in something. So let me write that down, you know. I'll just like play it back to you at some point or something. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Um, but like I, I, I honestly have never worried about that because honestly, if that's enough to offend someone, um, are they really your mentor? Yeah. Or is it just like you know? So the mentors that you've had, have you kind of have you done that like you know stalking them for a few months before you commit financially and done the research and and everything else? Or so you know, I probably. I came across you, started digging in, Googling, companies, house, socials, the rest of it, because mm-hmm. I'm a very, I'm not a risk taker. So, you yeah. know, I have spreadsheets for everything. I'd kind of planned that in and, you know, knew what impact it would have on the business. And, and at that point, not knowing the cost, but guesswork. Um, whereas I know other people, that have been to events and signed up on like a mentorship program where it's like, they've just, they've, it's just been a split second decision. Yeah. 
So I think I think with mentoring, it's divided by courses. So in general, mentoring shouldn't be able to be a split um, second decision. There should be, I think, some form of application process, some form of break. So it's like it's not like a heat of the moment, like, you know, like a go, go, go. Like when you sell courses sometimes on events, it is like a there's five spaces, four, three, two, you know, that sort of thing where it's usually 1500 couple of grand so it's not it's not going to kill anyone and if they're running to the back of the room and they're splitting that down to the peanuts that says a lot about them as an individual right um in terms of me and my research um i've never done that but only because i don't think it really tells a story um that much of a story about someone um for me it's i wouldn't just go in on something but it's conversations for me so i wouldn't make a decision about using your business because somebody said something good or bad if somebody said something good about you i'd warrant a conversation with you you know um and so obviously we've as a business have engaged your services and that's not because i researched you it's not because i looked um at load of your stuff it's from talking to you and going yeah like i'm not i know this is going to be great because i've spoke to you and it has been it's been incredible and so it's it's that sort of thing for me so if i talk to somebody and the way they're talking and the, the what they're talking about is getting me going wow this is great um and often evident like especially in the wealth industry evidence like people say oh it's easy to fake it's fucking not like you know when people go oh you can fake a lamborghini great go fucking rent one for a weekend then tell me how easy it is to fake renting a two grand a day like lamborghini because if you got two grand a day you're doing all right you know and they're not the sort of people really that i'm sort of going in on my that you know but like a lot of my mentors the training rooms that they have for example they own them outright um people like you you know when you look at if you look at tony and um tony robbins and dean graciosi it's unquestionable what they you might not like them but if you look at what they've built it's like i don't need to do a load of research to go their guys i would not mind getting some advice from Mm -hmm. so for me yes i research but probably not to the same level like that you're talking about for me it's I work a lot on gut instinct um, and I am a people person. So I like connecting with people. I like building value with people. I like just engaging. And if I like what you're saying and I like what you're doing and there's evidence around it, then that's cool for me. So, you know, even like um, if, if we're talking about your, your marketing, it's like even on this Zoom, you can see green umbrella in the background. Um, and things like that. That for me, it's just like, okay, cool. And so, and will that sometimes bite me in the ass? Yeah, because you might not have a company at all. You've just printed something out and put it on the wall, right? But it's just, I like trusting people. I like buying into people. And you know what? A majority of the time, it's not bitten me in the ass. It's really not. Um, and I'm smart enough to know when someone's smarter than me. And so when, when somebody's talking to me about something, I know when to shut the fuck up and listen. And if I, if I notice myself doing that, because I'd like to think I'm a relatively intelligent person. I like to think I know quite a lot about quite a lot and I work hard. And so if somebody's talking sense to me and I find myself going like that, that's someone I'm willing to invest in. That's someone I'm willing to listen to and go for. And um, I remember you saying, actually, when you, when you signed up to the mentorship, like you'd done all your research and stuff, but it was when you were talking numbers and the business breakdown and the structure of payments and things like that, that that was the thing where you're like, yeah, this is the guy, because you could see the way I was breaking it yeah, down yeah. and the numbers. And it, was, and it wasn't just me going, yeah, do it, do it, do it. It was me going, genuinely, is this the right move? And for whatever reason, that was the trigger point for you. Yeah, we um, we been to dinner the night before, and that mm. was the that was the first kind of a- actual conversation we'd had. 
And it was just general talking around the table, you know, people talking about their businesses. Um, and I talked about the the purchase and how the deal happened, how I priced it, etc. And returns. And we were kind of like across the table, just like crunch, almost like crunching the numbers. And you were like, okay, yeah, that makes it. But what about this? And I explained it and you got it. And, but there was also that bit of, okay, no, you don't run a marketing agency. You geek out on Facebook ads to the same level that I do. So you, you know, you get the whole kind of social thing, you get the personal branding stuff. So even though you might not have that experience of running this business, you do understand the service, what that service needs to be delivered, what's going to make it valuable, that kind of thing. But the biggest thing was the numbers because, like I said, I'm I'm crap with numbers. I have a spreadsheet for everything because I overcompensate. So, you know, that day, I remember you laughing at me because I have my laptop with me. So I was literally able to, like, open up the spreadsheet and pump in the numbers and go, yeah, yeah, I can do this. And... Whereas you were just like doing it in your head. You were just, you know, you like, you know, looking from side to side kind of thing. And you were coming up with the same figures I'd got. So but for me, that was the, that was the confidence builder. It's that bit that took the risk away. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and that's kind of like great that you did your background research and stuff and ticks and boxes for you, but it was that that did it for you. So it was more that conversation with me. And you made the real decision there based on some evidence face to face. So you did take that risk and you say you're not a risk taker, but you did take that risk and bullshit. You're not a risk taker either. You have taken over a business and you own a business. Uh, you are one of the biggest risk takers in the world um, because uh, that is what business is. You are putting yourself on out on the limb that you are going to add enough value out into the world that they are going to be willing to pay you. Not only that, they're going to pay you enough where you can pay the people and feed your family, feed their families, pay for their mortgages and your mortgage all in one. And that that's a pretty big risk all in all. So yeah, I'd, I'd argue you are a bit of a risk taker, but there's def, there's different ways of getting there, isn't mm. there? And I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's smart to have a play on both. Yeah. Okay, so there's something else I want to talk to you about, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of, a, there's a nice segue there, if you like. So we've, we're, I think we're quite similar in the whole kind of, you know, reflecting on progress, making plans, recalibrating as well when we feel like we're, we're going off plan maybe and, and that kind of thing. And like I said, this episode is likely to go out end of January, beginning of February. And I think probably every business owner will have made their plans for 2021, whether they've, yeah. whether they've done it the right way, the wrong way, whatever the right way or wrong way is. But yeah. come that point, that's where for a lot of people, those goals that they might have documented have just kind of yeah. ended up, you know, slipping down the back of a drawer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah but I know you're up, right? Yeah. So how do you... Like, what advice do you give to people when it comes to actually staying on track with those goals and, and really, really commit? It's one thing to say, yes, I'm going to do this. And yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to commit to this goal, but it's actually doing it. It's actually making it happen. Yeah. Okay. So the end of January, this is likely to come out. Yeah. yeah? Okay. So 80% of your listeners have fucked up all their goals so far, right? And by the way, if you're listening in that shoe, that's completely okay. I guarantee I've done the same. And the reason why is because I've got the end of this year and I've gone, why didn't I hit them this year? And I'll start justifying why it's somebody else's fault because that's what we do, right? It's not because I only really looked at my goals for the year last month, you know, which I didn't, but like, you know, that sort of shit. But I'll go, it was COVID this year. That's why I didn't hit them. Um, we had loads of movement. I ended up backing out of this. I ended up doing X, Y, Z, all of those sort of things that stopped me um, achieving those goals. So that's why I'll be able to do it next year. And this is why it's going to be amazing. And this is why I'm going to push it to the next level. And then you get there and you realize that you've done kind of fuck all to hit those grandiose goals um, in the first place. So the first piece of advice I'd give is book a couple of days out of your office. 
Okay, now um, there's different ways of doing this. I like going to a place that's nice. Um, okay, so at least nice views. So I, I'll usually do like my vision type stuff when like I'm skiing or something like that because I like the views of the mountains and stuff like that. Or you could do the complete opposite. And we were talking about this once, Christina. Go to a shitty hotel room where you've got nothing to do but focus on it. But the, the main thing is get out of your house and get out of the office because your mindset is different. You need to root yourself somewhere else. You need to structure yourself somewhere else. You need to recalibrate yourself to what you're about to do. And what you need to do is look at those metrics. So most people, when they're setting their goals, they make the big mistake of looking, um, you know, there's, there's different types of goals. Um, one of those mo momentum goals, and then there's your big outcomes, if you like, your leap goals. And everyone looks at the outcome metrics of those leap goals. Um, and there's loads of different names for this sort of thing. But so they'll go a million pound for next year. And that is genuinely what they'll go. I'm, I want to hit a million next year. It's like, what the fuck are you on about? No, like a million. How many people actually know how much is a day in a day for a million? It's like hardly anyone. If you ask them that for the first time, you go, you want to earn a million. How much do you need to make a day? I'd go with 99% don't have a clue, right? And then it's kind of like, okay, so then theoretically, if that's all you leave it, then that's going to be what, 80, whatever the number is, 86 grand a month. No, not at all, because we know growth isn't like that. Realistically, if you're aiming for your first million, the first three months, you might make 40 grand, 50 grand. And then the next three months, you might make 150 grand. Then the next three months, you might make... 300,000, and then you're going to make your big in the last three months, okay? And obviously, you've got to look at the cyclical nature of your business and stuff like that. But in general, growth will happen like that, this big curve, if you like, coming in. So you need to break them down into momentum goals and the outcomes. So before you can make your first million, if you've not made a penny yet, you need to make your first thousand pounds. You need to make your first sale. You need to fucking incorporate your business, okay? So you need to look at today rather than focusing on tomorrow all the time. Now, you know, I get it as business leaders with the visionaries, you want to look at the future. Well, that's great looking after tomorrow. But if you can't feed your kids today, um, you know, you ain't taking them to Orlando um, next year. You know, they won't be around. You won't be around. And so you need to do that. The other thing is, as an indicator and a metric, they're called lag indicators. So they are outcome based. What most people forget is the lead indicators. And lead indicators are the inputs in a, and how you're going to get there. So, for example, I want to make a million pound. Great. How much is a million pound? Well, I sell a unit for 5,000 pounds. Okay. So, if I'm selling a unit for 5,000 pound, I need to sell 200 of them to get a million pound. Great. That's still a lag indicator. That's still an outcome. So, it's 200 units I need to sell. So the lead indicator, if I know my metrics, might be I need to call 40 people in order to sell one unit. So then if I need to sell 200 units in order to make my million and I need to uh, talk to 40 people to get that one person, then I need to talk to 8,000 people. Great. If there's 8,000 people, 52 weeks a year, let's, let's say actually it's going to be 48 weeks. You're going to have to take eight weeks away from that because, you know, it's going to be um, your strategy, your marketing, your meetings, all of that shit. So you've got 40 weeks to talk to 8,000 people. Okay, that's pretty fucking hard. That's 200 people a week. That's 40 people a workday. Can you make that happen? You might think, yes, like fuck can you? Because what happens the first time you call those 40 people? 35 of them don't pick up. Next day, you've got 75. Most of those don't pick up. So you've got to think about employees and all of that. And I'm not trying to scare people, but hopefully this mindset of how you're following that down makes you realize how unrealistic your growth is. And this is the thing about most business, uh, business owners. You seriously overestimate what you can do in a short amount of time and seriously underestimate what you can achieve in a number of years. Okay. And again, for me, if I spent the first week building, sorry, the first year building up something and, and all I made was enough to eat at home, pay for the office space, pay, pay for my staff, and I had a drink left over, 
But I set up all these systems, all of these, the brand that I've got out there, all of the marketing and all of the other money went back into investing. That's a fucking good business. Because guess what happens year two? You might make 50 grand profit. And some people will go, 50 grand? Will that fucking work for 50 grand? It's not just 50 grand. It's 50 grand after you've paid your office, your food, your pay, your mortgage, their mortgage, the brand, more marketing spend, more awareness, your email campaigns, everything that you're doing. Guess what happens next year? It doesn't go 100 grand. It's a quarter of a million. Then it's half a million. Then it's a million. Then it's two. Then it's five. And it builds up and the momentum becomes scary. But by taking yourself out and anchoring yourself back to reality, looking at, yes, those leap goals, but also the momentum goals, not just the lag indicators, but the lead indicators, you start becoming more acutely aware to the impact that you need to have. So then when you understand that broken down, um, and by the way, I'm not fucking perfect at this, it's then breaking it down and diarizing it. Okay, if it's not in the diary, it doesn't exist. You know, if you've got it on a to-do list, that is the graveyard of the important, not urgent, right? It's never going to fucking happen. So it needs to go in your diary. And then what we do now is once a week, Friday, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., I sit down with Dan and Katie, my business partner, my PA, and the whole meeting for that entire hour, which is quite a long time out of your week, really, is did you do what you said you were going to get done over the week? If yes, brilliant. Can we do more? If yes, and it was a struggle, great. Recalibrate yourself, get your rest and get next week done. Or you didn't get it done. Why? Okay, what impacted? And you take notes. And this is really important because you're going to do that every week. And then at the end of the month, we do half, no, we do a full day at the moment. We want to get it to half a day, but we do a full day at the end of the month where we review the summary of those weeks. And at that point, Katie's analyzed it. So Katie will then go, Jamie, you said you want your time to be on training, marketing, and selling because you're focusing on the strategic growth of the business. Whereas Dan's looking over the operations. Only 50% of your time over the last four weeks was spent on that. What the fuck? What are we going to do about that? Okay, because you want that million. You're not going to hit that million unless you're smashing those three tiers that you want to hit. Your key result areas of the business. These are your KPIs. You're not hitting them. How can we do that? What's the thing? And what happens is when you analyze your weeks like that, you notice the same excuses. So I notice for me, projects going in at like 6 p.m. Don't do it. I'm fucking knackered, right? I find it really hard to sit down and focus on those. So now she doesn't. Everything's now in the mornings. Anything to do with talking, people, I can do that till two in the morning. I love it. I don't need to think. I'm just chatting with friends. That's how I see this. So this, for me, whilst I might come across as high energy, relies on no energy for me. It's just having a great conversation. I enjoy that. So then what happens is progressively, the next end of the month meeting, Katie will go, last month you achieved 55% success rate on what you wanted to achieve. This month, you achieve 72%. It's in the right direction, but you're still shit, right? How do we get to 100 a month? Now, feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? And you need to see these feedback loops as that. And each loop that connects with a cycle, i.e. the end of week reflection that I do, the end of week meetings, the end of month, they are feedback loops. And the more often you can do those pragmatically, the better. Okay. Now, I know that was a bit of a verbose answer. but No, no, it, it, covered, it covered loads of, because it covered the planning as well, as, as well as the staying on track. I think the reflection thing's really, really important. I, you know, I have a, a business journal that I religiously complete every week and every month. And there's, you know, I, I don't have a KD. So I've had to find a system that works for me where, um, you know, I, I'm presented with questions that I have to answer every week and I have to answer them honestly. And, you know, the, the truth is when I'm writing and answering those in my journals, probably not going to be quite as honest as if you were asking me those questions and we were in a dialogue doing it. And, and I think that's the difficult thing. When you are reflecting, that's why I go and lock myself away in a crappy hotel where there is zero, you know, there's nothing to distract me. Because actually, I'm then forced to answer the difficult questions, truly reflect, and to a level that is uncomfortable, where 
you know, I, and, you know, sometimes it's not about, it, it, it's not about the fact that, you know, you're, you're, what's the word? What's the phrase? It's not like I'm saying, oh, Christina, you're really shit. But sometimes actually you have to acknowledge you did a crap job there. You didn't give yeah. it your all. You, you didn't do it. And I think that's really hard. And when it comes to staying on track with your goals, it's really easy to go, well, actually, do you know what? I haven't been calling X amount of prospects a day. I haven't been doing what I needed to do on the lead generation. So oh, yeah, I failed that goal now. Well, actually, it's the 31st of January. You still, you know, just get back on the horse. Just, it doesn't have to be a Monday. It doesn't have to be the 1st of January. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and, and even like, you know, for, we're filming this 15th of December, it, even more than that, the year is not fucking done. I know. The year is not done. And, you know, like it's, it gets to Friday afternoon, like sometimes, especially like the sales team, it'll be Friday at two o'clock. And they'll be going, oh, do you know what? Next week. I'm like, next week? you got four fucking hours. That's a tenth of your time, you pricks. Like, come on. Let's move. Let's do this. Let's hustle. Let's move. And that, that's the thing. It's this mindset. Like, what, one bit of advice I would give, by the way. So I, I have that with Katie. And I don't feel it's brutal, even though she can be brutal. Um, it's, Katie's lovely. To you, maybe. She's, she's no, a few. She's She'd never be brutal. Um, no, but it's very factual. Yeah. So it's it's not really an opinion. It's a so we dot we log our time because I like being accountable to that, and she'll analyze my time, and so she'll say you have spent fifty percent of the time doing things you're meant to be doing. What the fuck is the other fifty percent? That's not an opinion. That's based on my stuff. So it's very factual in there, okay? It's very black and white. And then when I do my own reflections, because I do a couple of hours on a Sunday, I literally, headphones on, classical music, I zone out, cup of tea, um, and I'll spend it doing And the best advice I could give you is to get into the habit of listing as many positive things as possible, okay? And you'll really struggle, and you'll find this really weird. You'll, you'll struggle to get past five. But if you can do 20, 30, write them out. If you spend the whole two hours writing positives, amazing and then write one negative or one thing you can improve on something that we really underestimate is how long we're going to be in this game and if you're starting business and you're listening to this and you're 40 50 60 you've got decades not not months decades in this and if you spend every reflection point talking about how shit you are it yeah. You, how can anyone else expect to think you're amazing when you're putting yourself down all the time? I really do think it's so much more pragmatic to tell yourself how fucking awesome, because I am fucking awesome and I can improve. Okay. I'm not shit, but I did all right at that. Okay. I'm awesome. And next week, this is the one thing I'm going to focus on improving because those small little etches, like a scratch hammer, you scratch away at your weaknesses. You're not a sledgehammer against the wall. You're not trying to break the fucking down, right? So it's just these small iterative improvements that you make to yourself, your self-belief in your business that chips away. And even if your growth is slightly, and it will be slightly slower than if you did it the other way around, you'll feel incredible whilst you're doing it. Fantastic. We should write that down. Yeah, basically the in a line... I'm awesome. That's really all you need to take from that, I imagine, right? Do you know, you've, um, so like I said, not everyone will know you. You've got this this line that you use, your, your tagline. All right, will I yeah. say it or are you going to say it? Go on, you can say it. Dan, Dan claimed, uh, claimed it as his now. Was so, he? No, no, I'm um, so Jamie's line is, have a head for business and a heart for the world. Yeah. And... Um, quite often when I'm presenting or when I'm working one-to-one -one with someone and I'm, I'm really struggling for them to see how they can give value from a marketing perspective, I ask the question of, you know, what are you really in the business of? And I think, you know, everything that you've just been saying around those goals and, you know, that kind of, you know, telling yourself you're awesome really kind of comes into that. So, yeah, Jamie, what are you really in the business of? transformation i think like and like it's just changing everything that i can and leaving something in a better place so for example we're, we're, when it's with investments 
It's leaving somebody with a better home. It's leaving someone with a great investment. With mentoring, it's leaving them with a better mindset. It's leaving them with a better functioning business, more money in their pocket. Whether it's with my charity stuff, it's about hopefully quite literally saving people's lives and completely changing the uh, trajectory. Um, and I really think if I can do something, and by the way, earn a fuckload of money in the meantime, and I have no worries, no qualms. Like I realize when you start talking like that, the amount of people are like, oh, yeah, a bit woo-woo, a bit hippie. It's like, fuck that. I'm making millions doing but that. This is the thing. So you've got people that go, oh, yeah, it's a bit woo-woo, it's a bit hippie. But then you've got the people that go, oh, no, it's too commercial. Or all oh, these oh. There will be some people that will have heard what you've just said and they'll go, all he's interested in is money. Oh, I fucking love money. 100%. And if, if, if you think I'm interested in money, you are 100% right. If you think that's all I'm interested in, you just haven't bothered to listen. You've just heard this and you haven't listened. It's like money's just a measuring stick. Um, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the level you're playing at. And if you're making 5 million a year, fucking good on you. If you're making 10 million, 100 million a year, I want to meet you. I want to talk to you because I want to hear the way you think and understand the way you pro um, process data. Um, and again, I really want to push this. What money you have. Um, and we were talking, oh, this was ages ago and it got edited out and it really pissed me off. But I was talking about winners and losers um, and how winners typically have money and losers typically don't. But it, that's just a stereotype, right? So what makes a winner for me has fuck all to do with what your bank account represents right now is who you are as a person. And winners own their shit. They, they take ownership. Everything that goes right is because they played a part in that. And everything that goes wrong, what could they have done differently? Whereas losers, they play victim all the time. Everything is the government's fault, your fault, my fault. It's all right for you, but you didn't have this. It's like you don't know someone's entire world because you've listened to a one-hour podcast, um, you know. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about any, anyone that you listen the, to. The thing is that that winner mindset, they're the people that are gifted the opportunities because they've gone into the world with that. They've attracted it. The people that have gone out there with that kind of, you know, there's so many people that are, you know, pissed off with Rishi Sunak right now. Okay. And it, it's, it's like, you know, well, you know, Rishi's not my best mate, you know, just because I've, you know, run, you know, I'm, I'm in the premises I'm in and I got that grant or I've run my business this way. So actually I'm, I'm getting that benefit. These are all decisions that I've made. They're strategic things that have happened. You know, it, it's kind of uh, actually the stuff that I've, I've, the decisions I've taken ownership over that's you know we talk about risk the risks I have taken that kind of thing it, it's like actually you know I've put myself in situations the event we um spoke at where I engaged with you I very nearly didn't go to because of other stuff at home where I could have played victim at and you know and that's the reality I kind of went well no I need to do this this is what's going to push me forward this is what's going to help me improve my life commercially personally what have you well actually you know there are opportunities that have come my way in 2020 probably one of the worst years commercially that will be seen in my lifetime well actually it's all those decisions that have put me in the circles with the right people and it's not luck yeah it is it's what you've attracted it's also understanding and dividing facts from story. So what I'm saying is a fact, like saying, if I've just said I'm amazing, right? That's a fact. I don't mean that I am amazing. I've said I am amazing. So if you said he said he was amazing, um, that's a fact. If you said, I, like, Jamie's an incredible guy. He says he's amazing. That's a story that you've just made up, that, that part that you've played for it. If you think I'm an arsehole, that's a story that you've applied to it because it's an opinion, right? And there's something called listening for something. So listen for how you react to something. So often there's this nature and nurture argument, right? So is it who you are or the environment that you brought up in? And, and very rarely is it one or the other. It's usually a, a joining of the two. Uh, a synergy, if you like. And so if think about how most people, if I go, you know what, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. And if you're listening to this right now, what comes up in your head? 
Is it fair play? You are a winner. Is it you are and I am too? Is it you are, I'm not? Is it you're a twat? You're an egotist. And, and whatever else comes in your thing. So um, I remember the first time I said it in front of Katie, the first response she had was like, like that's just like, that's just cringe. But, but think why that is. It's just like, okay, why do I think I'm a winner? Because I own my shit and I work fucking hard to get the outcomes that I want in life. And I actually invest pretty much everything I've got into other people. My entire life is based on the development of other people. And because of that, I feel like a winner and I earn money doing that. So I'm a winner, right? And when if somebody's saying something or a version of that, I'm like, yeah, that inspires me. Some people will go, get your head out of your ass, right? And what I learned early on is that has nothing to do with me at all. That is a pure reflection of what upbringing they've had, what they're going through right now, and the shit that they need to deal with to make it okay. And 99% of the time, the, the people that are really, not just saying it and off the cuff, you know, it's because they're dealing with shit themselves mm-hmm. and insecurities about who they are. And so, and, and the English culture, as I said, as a whole, doesn't really help because we kind of don't celebrate success that much. I mean, like we see the Americans as purely obnoxious, right? Um, a lot of it. It's like Americans, oh my God. It's like, if you actually look at it, we're basically slagging them off because they're celebrating who they are. I'm not saying they do it with the best taste um, all of the time with, with some things. And I think there's different ways of approaching it. But isn't it fascinating how like the mindset of when somebody says, I'm doing really well. And it feels weird, actually, because I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast, but like I'm trying to think of it now. Isn't it fun- like an amazing thing how where your mind goes when somebody says, I'm fucking good. Yeah, and I'm and I'm and and it, and and those little thoughts you come in here because I'm trying to think how I'd be thinking if this wasn't me saying it. It's like, yeah, all right, mate, fucking hell, we get it. And that that would be in my head. It's all right, I don't care about you. And that's those are little voices, isn't it? Do you know? It's like if, if I mean, God help us if anyone were to like you know look at our our WhatsApp conversations. Um, but if they if they did dig through it they would find conversations where I've told you how awesome I am, told you about my wins and every day, day, like you you get a little, like he blocks me every now and then just for a few days, gives himself a rest. Um, But yeah, you know, it is that it's almost, I I was interviewed and I said, you know, investing in mentorship is a bit like it's buying a friend. I could, I, I am paying to brag to you constantly in the same way I'm paying to come to you and go oh woe is me you know and it is that and if you're really lucky and an actual friendship a genuine friendship develops out of it yeah obviously not in our case but um, no. in some cases though I'm sure yeah some people actually like each other um but yeah you know that it's the you know it's that ability to celebrate success and celebrating success isn't necessarily, you know, going and treating yourself to a weekend somewhere or getting that bottle of champagne on the way home or whatever it is. That celebrating success sometimes is just stopping for a minute to acknowledge it. Yeah. So, so something I do. So I I work sort of all hours, but um, I mean, I've got I've got an auction on at seven, so there's a few staff here now. Um, but like. In the office, we've got 16 people here next door. And sometimes when I'm in on a Sunday, just in the evening, I'll literally just stand over there with a cuppa just for like 15 minutes, just drinking it. And like, it's a really weird thing, but just looking at how many desks there are and how many seats. And I'm like, everyone's earned their place here and I'm not taking anything away from them um, at all. But there's this sort of thing. And it's like, I'm paying for their meals that they're eating tonight. And I'm paying for what's on their table when they're buying kids their kids Christmas presents. I played a part in that and I facilitated that. And and it's so if it, if it's such a surreal moment. And then on the flip side, I look at what I've got, and this is quite powerful as well because you start looking at your team. They're not just employees; it's they're facilitating what you have as well. So everything like I, I'm just 
I'm lucky I get to be the spearhead, if you like. So I'm the first thing that people see. I'm the face of the company, believe it or not, with this. Um, but what's allowed me to do that and the success that I've got is because of them. And so it's, it's that that is when you feel fucking good because it's like, wow, like not only have I managed to play a part in building up their success, it's also pretty overwhelming thinking that people are so bought into me that they do that. Because let's face it, they can go get another job. Yeah. You, you know, they, believe it or not, there are still jobs out there um, and they can get that, but they buy into you as the leader they buy into you as the motivator and somebody that's going to help them on that direction and yeah yeah su success doesn't have to be tasteless you know you, you don't need to go throw money at homeless people or go dance somewhere and do what like you can you can do it with taste and actually like the sooner you can openly celebrate who you are with all your flaws your ego your intuition and your growth the better it will be for everyone, including your you and yours. I think being a business owner is there's a lot of pressure. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of negatives, to be honest. Um, but actually, the you know everyone pins success in monetary terms, but actually, just taking that moment to reflect to survey, it mm. can be quite humbling. It can fill you with gratitude. And I think yeah. for me, that has where I am right now and the team that I've got here. Um, and I know you've you've sort of had communication with a couple of them, but I am I am really really grateful for the people that I've got around me. And I, I know you you kind of feel the same way too, um, Jamie. I'm conscious of time because um, you need to go and disappear onto, onto this auction. So any final words to leave us with? Oh. I wish I prepared for this so I could have something motivational. No. Um, I, what, what sort of level are most of your listeners at? Are they sort of towards the beginning of business in the first five years, bigger? I'd say, for, yeah, first, probably first three. Yeah, probably first three. Okay, first three years. Okay. So the bad news is also the good news for you in that the first three years specifically is fucking ridiculous. Like how ridiculously hard it is um, and you should recognize how unique and special you are um, by being part of that 1% that not even thought about setting up a business. You fucking went for it. Um, and I think it's really worth just really celebrating yourself a little bit with that. Um, one of the most successful times I've ever felt was at the end of the first year of business. I made fuck all money, but I didn't need to borrow money to pay my rent. Um, which, by the way, if you did, that's cool. But what felt amazing is I had no money left in my bank account, but I earned my money like myself. I generated it myself, and it was so much less than I could have got in a job. But I lived and I survived that year based on that. And that, for me, was such a celebration point. Um, I think the next thing is just saying it gets easier, um, and it doesn't. And what I mean by that is your problems get a lot bigger, but you earn the level of problems that you've got. And that might help a lot of you right now that are going through some shit, that you have earned the right to have those problems. If you've got staff leaving, it's because you built a business with staff. If you've got management problems, it's because you built a big enough team. If you've got problems where you're looking for pay rises and you're trying to figure that out, that's because you've got great staff that deserve level up and development in there. Um, if you've got something where you're looking for investments right now and you're worried about your tax strategies and stuff, you've earned that problem because you've earned some fucking money, right? And so every problem that you've got, there is a solution for, so you don't need to worry about that. And just feel something in the fact that you have um, earned that right in the first place. Um, I think another thing and the final thing I'd probably say is just – don't just take this as some throwaway comment. Really start relishing um, your successes because honestly, for 90% of you, you're probably better off just going to get a job. If all you're ever going to do is really stress um, about this all the time, like, yes, you have the potential to earn a lot more money, but the first three years, how many people break past that 100K point? It is not many. Okay, it's really fucking hard. 
So you need to be clear on that. And then when you are, celebrate the successes, even the small wins, because you want to anchor and celebrate everything. If you've just signed a new contract, celebrate. It could just be a bottle of wine, you know, with it. Just celebrate those small wins, because what you're teaching your brain to do is win. Okay, and there's a lot of science around this, which I won't go into because we're signing off. Um, but if you can celebrate those wins, you are training your brain that you like those wins. Because the problem with your brain is it, it, it understands that there's been chemical releases. Sometimes it really finds it difficult to understand whether it was a happy release or an anxious release. Um, um, found, sounds really weird. I've said release twice now. Now it's in my head. Happy um, release of that. Is it a happy release? Or an anxious release, or maybe a bit of both in my case. I don't know. Um, but when you're doing that, your brain struggles with that. And so really calibrate yourself and align yourself to celebrate those wins because you will actually start winning a lot more and you'll start being hungry to chase that win. Because if you don't bloody celebrate the wins, a £1,000 that hits the account, a contract you've just signed, you won't work as hard for the next one, Okay. Um, so calibrate yourself if anyone needs any help or anything like that and I don't mean just from a mentoring perspective I just mean like an ear um, or anything like that they can reach out on my social channels it's Jamie York pretty much everywhere and it would be stupid for me to not say to remember to have a head for business and a heart for the world awesome thanks Jamie